0: THE GOSPEL ACCORDING TO MARK Jesus and the disciples went on and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, He said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name, welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Competition. Competition is everywhere. We see it in workplaces as employees work to be recognized with promotions and bonuses. In business, where each company tries to have the lowest cost and the biggest profits. We see it with siblings or classmates. Children wanting to be first in line or have the biggest dessert. We see it in sports as we cheer on our favorite team. I recently saw a shirt that I really wanted to buy. Instead of promoting a team, it read, I just hope both teams have fun. But then I thought, nope, this shirt is just too controversial. Best to leave opinions like those for my second year at Emanuel. Where does all this competition come from? Is it in our DNA? Is it in our culture? Nature or nurture, we see its evidence all around us. While some healthy competition can be fun on the field or when raising money for a good cause like the crop walk, competition in life also has serious consequences. Relationships suffer when we think we have to earn love. The earth is being drained of resources. It can't replace fast enough. Countries race to have the biggest stockpile of weapons and no one is safer. People are exploited for profit, and while some people have billions, others live in poverty without the ability to meet even their most basic needs. So much of competition boils down to fear. Knowing many resources are finite, we fear there is simply not enough for everyone. It's a scarcity mindset. I want to be first, so I'm not left out or left behind. Competition isn't anything new. We see the same story in our gospel this morning. In our gospel, we read that the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest among them. Even Jesus' hand-picked disciples are not immune to being competitive. Maybe their discussion came from a place of earnestness. Jesus is healing and feeding the crowds, teaching about God's love. And as followers of Jesus, they want to make sure they're really good followers, the best possible followers. Maybe thinking if someone else is more loving than I am, maybe I could push myself to be better too. So maybe this conversation is rooted in each of the disciples wanting to be the best possible Jesus follower. The problem lies in wanting to be better than another. If there's only one trophy for best disciple, then they each want it. Maybe they're thinking being the best disciple means, well, Jesus would have to love you the most, right? If Jesus' love is a resource, like water or food or gold or oil, then there's only so much to go around. And it's precious. It's best to be first, so there will definitely be enough. Jesus responds to their argument by turning everything upside down. If you want to be first, you must be last of all and servant of all. To be first, you must be last of all. Well, that's a whole new way of looking at things. And to take this one step further, to really drive this point home, Jesus says to welcome the child, which is like saying, welcome the one who is powerless, the people who don't have a say or a vote without wealth, the one who is vulnerable and has no social standing. Welcome the ones who are usually last or forgotten and then Put them first. That's when you're starting to get the hang of it. When we stop thinking of our own ranking and instead we start thinking about making sure that everyone is included and welcomed, that everyone has a place to belong. Maybe that doesn't make you first or greatest by the world's standards, but it means something to the one who created us. Jesus is asking the disciples, asking us, to look at the world differently. And that can be disorienting because we're so used to seeing the world one way and Jesus disrupts that, turning it all upside down. When I think of looking at the world differently, I think of my daughter, Madeline. I'm not sure when we first realized this about her, but she loves being upside down. Just a few seconds of being held upside down, and she can't stop giggling with joy. She'll cheer again, again, until your arms grow tired, so she can see the sky of grass and the trees grow from the clouds one more time. Jesus wants us to see the world differently, the way that God sees it, but Jesus also knows that this is not possible on our own. We need to be held upside down in loving arms that we trust so we can take in the sights of heaven on earth and let it fill us with joy. If we could so easily change ourselves and the world around us, then we wouldn't need Jesus. And I think that's why this passage follows Jesus saying once again that he will die on the cross and rise to new life. The topsy-turvy, world-changing perspective that Jesus proclaims, this is the work of the cross. Jesus' death and resurrection, the work of reconciling God and people, of bringing heaven to earth, Jesus reorients the cosmos. Embracing us with God's love, sending the Holy Spirit to transform us into a community that is radically welcoming and wildly inclusive. We often hear about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And as we know, kingdom is spelt K-I-N-G-D-O-M. But when I was in divinity school, we wondered if there was a better way to describe what was going on or another image to help us wrap our minds around what God was doing in the world. A kingdom, even though Jesus' kingdom is unlike any other before it, brings to mind a hierarchy, a high and a low, ruler and servants, the greatest and the least— but what if we thought about God's kindum? Just removing that little g in the middle, K I N D O M. Kin means family. Your kin are the people you're related to. Kingdom might help us see that God's love is knitting us back together reminding us that we are all children of God. We are united in our humanity, that our future is shared. This kingdom is an image that inspires me and informs my preaching, even though most of the time saying it out loud, you can't hear much of a difference at all. In the heavenly kingdom of God, the world is turned upside down. In the Best way possible. We don't have to worry about being first or the best or the most loved. We don't have to live our lives like they are some exhausting competition. We don't have to think about ourselves much at all because we trust that we are in God's loving, caring arms. We don't have to change the world by ourselves. We know that God is at work in the world. But we get to be part of the change. We get to be part of this kingdom work. We get to consider what the world would look like upside down if we stopped competing, if instead of accepting survival of the fittest, we work to make sure that even the most vulnerable are equipped to thrive. We get to welcome the child, the stranger, the least, the one most in need of hospitality, knowing that God's love doesn't run out. When we start with the least, there is more than enough for all. God's love multiplies and expands, growing as it is shared until it embraces the whole world. Amen.